Welcome to Across the Gun Counter, guys. I'm your host, Joe Riva, joined by my co-host, Tyler Weaver. All right, and we're back this week, guys, with another exciting topic for you. This one is kind of one we've led up to, we've talked about quite a bit. Uh, We're going to be doing AK Building 101. Uh, so we talked a little bit in the past about your first AK. You know, we talk a lot about AKs. I, I'm sensing a theme We're both with AK that. guys. <laughs> yeah, it's we're, we're both AK guys is what it boils down to. And I think a lot of people don't really know and kind of forget that building an AK is not the same as building some other firearms. Something like a, like an AR-15, which em- yeah, almost everyone... Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, I mean, an, a, an AR, you know, not to try and, you know, draw too, you know... Uh, Similar of a comparison, but like an AR, you can almost build on your kitchen counter, whereas your AK, not so much. <laughs> to a point. I mean, I, trust me, I've seen the ARs come in that have been built on the kitchen counter, and they usually end up with some sort of problem. But Ex- essentially, yeah, the, the tolerances are different across the board, where those are made to be assembled from readily available parts. Yep. AKs, not so much. Yeah, ARs don't nearly have the fitting that you know, an AK would. I mean, hell, the furniture on an AK alone, you're almost always going to have to fit. Yeah, and that's one thing. Like, we were just talking about it the other day when you were in the shop, that AKs are basically made to not come apart. You know? (laughs) They do. There's a very specific way to take them apart, but there's a reason they use rivets. Oh, yeah, and that that is held together. We had... I guess we should preface this with two was, you know, I was over there, we're starting your next round of AK builds, including my Yugo M72, which is in there. Mm-hmm. And you had the one, or I even had the one kit too. The uh, the rivet just would not go. <laughs> I mean, we had oh, to heat yeah. that. We had to heat that thing up. Like we really had to get that rivet out there. They're they're really yeah. designed to. Well, we were heating that up to bend it back so it would accept us nail uh, whaling on it some more. <laughs> yeah, because it was just at a slight angle, and we just couldn't get the. That was the um. Oh, what piece? The is little that? The, I call it the grip the, stud. Yeah, you know, that, on the bottom of the Yugos, it's kind of like a milled receiver where you have that section that has the three rivets and the little stud that comes down for the uh, pistol grip. Yep. So that was actually starting to get bent from us trying to whale the rivet out even after cleaning it up flush to the metal. Yeah, that rivet just didn't want to go. And I'm happy you kind of brought up the, the milled right there too because I think there's there's mm. a difference between doing a milled receiver and a stamped receiver, AK. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think the main thing is, I mean, probably what you would agree is just, is just doing the rivets for the trunnions. And that, I think, is... I mean, there, there's a little bit more that goes into it, but that's really the major difference, I'd say, is with a stamped AK, you're going to have to rivet everything, whereas your milled AK, it's... Trunnions are kind of all right there. Yeah. The only thing... I mean, typically when you get a milled AK receiver, they don't come with the bullet guide installed, so you do still have to do a rivet. Oh, but okay. I that one, that. that one's pretty easy. Yeah, a oh. lot of them, like, especially if you're using a Tortort manufactured receiver... I don't believe any of the AK ones come with the bullet guide. I know when I did my Galil build, that's essentially the same thing, and that yeah. didn't have the bullet guide in it. That had to get riveted. Okay, interesting. See, I didn't realize. I, I knew with Galils you always had to do that, but I didn't realize that with the with the milled receivers. See, learning yeah, I believe so. Yep. So, again, so when it comes to a stamped AK, you know, your traditional AKM or AK-47, if you will, you're going to have to rivet. And before you even decide that, you know, hey, you got a parts kit and you're going to build it, I guess if you decide you're going to build it, you have to look into the tooling and what the tooling costs and what the room it's going to take up too. Because as previously mentioned, I got an AK kit a few years back and I was like, oh, I'll get all the tools and I'll do all this and I can do it all right in my house. 
Mm -hmm. And that becomes pretty expensive pretty quickly. I mean, I got a drill press just for drilling out the rivets, and that alone was a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, um, and that's not even a good drill press. <laughs> yeah, and that was an okay drill press. And actually, yeah. that thing's not even really set up yet. Uh, then you have to look at like the um, the press for pressing in your rivets, all that stuff, and you have to mm -hmm. look up the room that's going to take. Uh, I actually got one of those jaw rivet tools initially to try and do mine. For and, the, uh, the bolt cutters. Yep, and that came out all right at first. You had to fix up the one rivet for me on the, uh, the Hungarian build. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it kind of came out the the front rivets for my first set of rivets i would say they, they weren't bad uh like yeah. i said the one it's one of the things those uh those jaws the way they work it's not like a press where it's coming straight down they're coming in at an angle yeah. so you're automatically trying to essentially fold the rivet so it's extremely difficult if even possible to get those heads to sit perfectly flat and get the rivet to crush properly not saying somebody probably hasn't you know done enough of them where they get them good but it's not the the desired way exactly so if you can you're going to want to use a press if you're forced to use the rivet tool or the jaw rivet tools cool use them mm -hmm. but i really wouldn't now, recommend it <laughs> yeah there's also another way um when i took a tour of childer guns um they were doing their rivets with what's called a pneumatic like c squeezer oh, so I've it's essentially like that yeah it essentially looks kind of like a c clamp and it has the rivet bucks on it and you pretty much just put it in get it on the rivet and just you know squeeze it and it pneumatically crushes the rivet and it's almost perfect every time you know it's funny you mentioned really that cool too. but those things are like three or four hundred dollars oh yeah and I, I remember when i first got into looking into building the ak that was something someone po pulled up they're like oh riveting is easy just take this pneumatic gun and bam 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 and i'm like oh that's great how much does that tool cost um oh yeah that's that's more yeah than the kit <laughs> yeah they're extremely expensive and i mean you can only do certain rivets with them you know it's not going to allow you to do the trigger guard rivets it's not going to allow you to do the long rivets so mm -hmm. not well, at least with one of them you know you would have to have multiple for the different lengths oh yeah so not even including the the press the drill press you know those two things then you also have all your ak tools you kind of need yeah you can get away without mm -hmm. doing some things like in particular i know the front the the front gas block or not the front gas block the the front sight too we drive the pins out on those using was it an ar tool but no it's just a regular like a regular uh bench block one of the plastic yeah. bench blocks but they do make special tools where that front sight and gas block sit in there nicely to help support it yep and if you don't have them lined up right knocking them out is kind of a pain oh yeah and especially you know a lot of times those pins get bent up and whatnot from getting driven in in the first place mm -hmm. so they're very hard to drive back out especially if you're trying to continue them through compared to knocking it back out the way it came yeah so you can run into a lot of difficulties so for your first i'd say ak build don't i really wouldn't rush out and buy all the tooling i would say kind of look more to have it professionally built mm -hmm. but if you are going to do it you know or even if you are an ak builder you're a gunsmith or whatever and you decide hey i'm taking on this build you know what are some things to keep in mind what are some things to look for? And I, I think one of the first things most AK guys look for is the quality of the rivets. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, as much as AK guys, we don't care that our stuff gets beaten to crap and thrown around because, hell, it's an AK. Yeah, uh, but we, we want to make sure it's assembled correctly. Exactly. And we tend to be pretty pretty anal about the rivets. Um, I, I mean, back when I was at the shop, 
I would look at basically every AK and I would inspect all the rivets. So it was like the first thing I would do. I would try and see if I could fit like a index card underneath them, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Just see if everything was sealed. And for the most part, every AK that I actually that I could recall getting into the store was pretty decent, like that. At least new production. There was one. Yeah, used and it's one, one of the things not, where like even a bad rivet most of the time is still doing its job. It's still oh, yeah. holding everything together just because of how when you crush a rivet, it's not just the heads getting crushed, but the whole body itself kind of swells to really grab onto everything. So nope. that even a bad rivet where the head's not sitting completely flush, chances are it's not going to cause any issues. But mm-hmm. it's still it, not right until it's right. Yep. And if it was built right initially, you might have a hell of a time getting the the rivets out. Oh yeah, like like we had just mentioned in the last you know last run we had the one on mine that was just taking forever. If I believe you had a Hungarian mm-hmm. one too that was coming apart extremely nicely, and then there was one one rivet that just did not want to go. Yeah, and that that's one thing you have to consider too when you're buying a parts kit, either to build it yourself or to send it out to a builder like myself. It's you have two different types of parts kits. You have ones that were literally just torch cut, thrown in a box, and shipped out. You know, those are excellent because they haven't been molested in any way. Mm-hmm. But now the burden is on you or the builder to get it apart. So that's obviously going to take more time and money because you don't know how easily that parts kit's going to come apart, how easy those parts are going to come off. But if you get one that's already been demilled, you know, typically that uh, I really haven't seen a difference as far as like price wise on parts kits. You know, we're kind of just subject to what's being imported. But if yeah, they're yeah. already demilled, you know, you're saving money there because you don't have to have the builder uh, demill it for way. you. But you're also running the risk of it being demilled poorly. Yep. Yeah, where like if a rivet's stuck and they drilled it out with a drill bit that's too big or that drill bit wandered, well, now your rivet hole is oversized. Exactly. Now, too, I think the only time you're going to see that that price difference, like you had mentioned, is really when you see the headspace populated kits. Which... Yeah, yeah. Which, to be honest, I know you're not a fan of. No. Um, you know, I, and I've seen why you're not a fan of. I, I didn't really understand it until I actually saw you have, I want to say it was a Bulgarian in the show. Yep, Bulgarian 74. <laughs> yeah, and that thing was just, you have so much you're kind of working around, and then you almost have to readjust the headspace anyway, because it might be headspaced to whatever they headspaced it on, but it might not be headspaced to, well, your parts or your receiver. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. It's head-spaced in the trunnion and everything, and sometimes they run that um, barrel pin in all the way. Sometimes they don't, which is nice. But you're pulling it out, and they're, you're trying to put it exactly back the way it was with a 12 or 20-ton press, and it's extremely hard to get it right where it was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, point, that's one of the reasons I... Yeah, I'm not fond of pre-headspace kits because then you're kind of chasing your tail. It's like, damn it, went too far. Now we have to press the barrel back out and, you know, come at it again. And it, you end up wasting more time trying to get it perfect rather yeah. than press it in. Does it headspace? Yes or no. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I've had a, times where, um, specifically on my, um, what's it called? That, uh, like AK, the, the gunsmith AK that I'm building where everything's pretty much fit. Um, what I ended up doing was pressing that in to where the the go gauge just would not go, and then I cleaned up the face of the bolt until it was dead nuts at the minimum headspace. 
Yeah, I think so, that's what we did on we did something similar on my my Hungarian, if I recall correctly. Yes. We we yeah, had where you push it, the, it uh, just bolt. just below the go gauge, and you just face off your bolt face nice and clean. So, and you're not taking that much, so it's not going to mess up extraction or anything like that. No. But there's more than one way to skin a cat. Yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I was going to say that too, is like, even when it comes to like demilling and stuff like that. When it comes to demilling, you know, there's multiple ways to do that too. You know, how many times we got the trunnion, it's like, well, are we going to grind this out with an angle grinder? Are we going to put it on the milling machine and mill the heads? You can do whatever you want. It's just, yeah, the... The risk involved, I guess. You yeah, know? I mean, you could even use a Dremel. Yeah, um. you could use a Dremel. <laughs> for that, uh, the uh, Hungarian, the one that I just demilled. I just use an angle grinder. You know, I had the mill already set up for other stuff, so just hop on the angle grinder. Be careful, make sure you don't slip and nick it or anything like that, but you can do it. Yeah, and with the, with the mill, I, I think so far, that was the easiest way. I think we've done rivets, at least from the several I've worked with. It's nice and clean, it doesn't overheat it too much. Yeah. And you can kind of get a, I want to say more even cut, just because you, you see where everything's kind of cutting into, going back and forth on yep. the mill. That's my preferred way, but it's also the most time-consuming way. Exactly. And at the end, you're really not saving anything when you're doing that, too, because once you get that rivet head off to a certain point, you're basically just ripping the metal off and then banging the rivet through. Yeah, I mean, you've seen, I have a series of <laughs> screwdriver pry bars that oh, have yeah, been ground are... and whatnot, just so you can, you know, fiddle it in there and pry it up. And then I usually just tr- try to, like, smack it off with a hammer or something like that. But it doesn't want to leave, that's for sure. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> so, and then you got to bang what's left of the rivets out with a punch. So, demilling can get very time-consuming. And it's one thing people don't consider when they buy their parts kits. No, and it's something most people don't want to do either Mm -hmm. i think that's like the biggest hurdle when it comes to starting a build is oh i gotta email this kit yeah and one thing i didn't even think about until now is a lot of people don't even consider 922r compliance no and that's something we we touched a little bit on in the past Mm -hmm. Um, we'll do a whole episode on it one day that's really something that needs a whole episode 100 percent and just the short gist of it for those who are not familiar basically 922r compliancy is a stupid rule that was started, I believe, under the Bush Senior Administration when they banned the import of quote-unquote assault weapons because they were trying to stop the flood of cheap AKs and you know HK-91s and like all that stuff onto the U.S. market. So basically what they did was they made this rule is that in order for you to have a quote-unquote assault rifle or one of these uh, you know semi-automatic weapons... I hate the term assault rifle. I really do. If mm. you, just so you guys know, I had air quotes when I was saying that. And so any of these quote-unquote assault weapons that they were imported, they couldn't have anything more than 10 foreign-made parts on them. So basically they were saying like, hey, you're allowed to own this rifle as long as it was made here. Reasons? We don't have any. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the U.S. federal government for you in a nutshell. Mm. Yeah, so for like AKs, I believe it's six U.S.-made parts from their list. Yeah, I think they have a list of 20 parts you know, yes. only so many count, and from that list, you need at least six U.S.-made parts. So yeah. a lot of people will go with a U.S.-made receiver and barrel. That mm-hmm. automatically gets you two. I typically persuade people to go parts. with... Yeah, but then you can't use surplus mags, technically. Well, I, I don't know about that. And this is, again, I'm not a lawyer, so do not take uh, anything I say as legal advice. 
But to my understanding of the rule and basically what the ATF had said in terms of like when it came to that pistol brace nonsense a few years or wow, a year back now. Yeah, I was going to say it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, I know. It seems like it's been so much longer. But they, they basically said once the firearm has been assembled as a rifle or whatever, it's been assembled. Yeah. So you can swap out parts after it's been assembled. So to my understanding, it's after the initial assembly of the firearm, you can swap out parts afterwards. I'm not going to argue or debate that at all right now because it's it's really not what this mm. episode is about. But again, no one's. I don't think anyone's going to be knocking on your door at the range if you're <laughs> using yeah. a Romanian-made AK mag and your AK was built with three parts 922R compliancy with a magazine. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. So, but basically, what I I try to point people in the direction of is to a U.S.-made barrel and receiver. U.S.-made trigger group, so that gets you three parts internally. So you have the trigger, the uh, disconnector, and the hammer. Mm -hmm. So right there puts you at five. And then I typically just say throw in a U.S.-made slant brake or, you know, whatever kind of muzzle device. You know, and that that typically gets you your six. But you could swap out furniture, handguards, you know, whatever you want. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of different things you can swap out. I know a lot of people like to use the original triggers. That's that's kind of a debate in the AK community, too, is using mm-hmm. an original trigger versus... And there's, like, no good U.S.-made triggers on the market like, right now. With the exception yeah, of the ALG, ha- but that doesn't yeah, look correct but, for those builds. Yeah, it doesn't look right, plus you're starting to see issues with peening, because from my understanding, those are harder than the maximum allowed hardness for like per, like, Russian prints. Mm-hmm. So, well, even essentially, when that, you have a hammer that's harder than your bolt carrier, you're going to start smashing your bolt carrier. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at that original trigger I had that we had gotten for the AK before we got a different one. Mm-hmm. That thing was atrocious. <laughs> yeah. That thing required more. I don't even remember the company that did it, to be honest with you. I don't think they're in business anymore because I got that at Sarco, actually, for like 15 bucks, maybe 20 bucks. Yeah, I, which, I think it was from Texas. It had... Had the state of Texas on it, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. And so for what it's worth, too, you can't really cheap out on your parts. Mm -hmm. I mean, because then you're going to have a tougher time with the build if you can get everything to work right in tandem. Because, again, with these kits, you're working from a rifle that was built and was complete, and now you've cut it up, you're taking everything out, and now you're trying to refit everything onto a new receiver, new barrel. Hell, even sometimes the barrels don't fit 100% right. Yep. What was the one we we were working on the one time? And I remember you kept having to file down the barrel. Like, it was, like, kind of have to, uh, I believe it was, we took sandpaper to, like, the, the chamber, like, the, the oh, outside of it. Um, yeah, you know which one I'm talking about. Uh, what I was forget that barrel? Who... That was a Polish barrel, too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of the WBP ones, or WP, yeah, that whatever thing, it is. Yeah, yeah, that thing did yeah. not want to go It was together. very, I don't even want to say it was oversized, but it was very much, the, the interference fit was more than it should be so interference fit you know if your trunnion measures what is it i think it's like uh the barrel's supposed to be like 908 Mm -hmm. your barrel should be like the hole in your barrel should be like 907 you know or something like that yeah don't don't quote me on this i don't have my notes in front of me but you wear right yeah essentially you're pressing the barrel that's slightly bigger into a smaller hole yeah. And you can only get away with so much. You can't have, you know, three, four thousandths worth of interference fit, or you're simply not going to be able to get it in. <laughs> you can't get it in. Yeah. 
No, I, I, that's that's something people need to consider too. Like when you purchase a barrel too. Like when I purchased the one for the M72, if you go onto AK Builder, they actually ask, do you want your standard journal size of 908 or oversized? And I think it was like 913 or 912, something like that. Uh, I think they make three sizes now. I want to say it's 908, oh, wow. 910, or yeah, 908, 910, and they might even have like a 912. Because you got to remember, it depends on how many times this trunnions had a barrel in it each time you press it in press it out press it in press it out it gets a little looser i would say you're taking off material yeah yeah and we're talking thousandths of an inch so still you do that 10 or so times five times or whatever yeah you're losing i was gonna say 10 would be a lot for one trunnion you better scrap that thing (laughs) but yeah it's one of the things especially okay you press a barrel out and it kind of galls a little bit so the the metal starts tearing well that can easily be honed out but now you're up to like metal yeah, now you're up to 909 because you took a thousandth out of it to try to smooth it out. Now you have to get a 910 barrel. Yep. So it's one thing I always recommend to people to get your parts kits, either measure it yourself or have it measured before you order your barrel. That way you have a better idea of like, hey, what's going to fit, what, where an issue might pop up. Like I've already had it where like you have the barrel that presses into the trunnion, then you have the three pieces that press onto the barrel. Typically three pieces. I've had all of them be perfectly fit except for one. One needs to be either honed out or, I mean, I prefer to hone the part out rather than sand down the barrel, but that's just me. Yeah. So. No, makes and that, sense. That's, the yeah, part. that's typically because of how rough the original parts are. So mm-hmm. I would rather smooth out a rough finish than try to, you know make a perfect finish smaller if that makes sense yeah because two smooth finishes are gonna interact better together so now we've talked about you know doing the rivets stuff like that different ways using the you know the press is obviously the main way you kind of put everything Mm -hmm. in there press it on when it comes to the barrel too now you have your you're pressing the barrel what exactly would you say goes into pressing the barrel or assembling your barrel i should say well I was going to say, real quick, before we get to the barrel, we should probably touch on at least, like, my process of doing the receiver. I know some people start with the barrel. For me, I'd rather have things assembled once and done. So I typically rivet in the front trunnion, the rear trunnion, which is a completely different process, crushing long rivets, but Mm -hmm. rivet in both trunnions, then do the trigger guard so you have a completed receiver. And then I move on to the barrel. And now with the the rear trunnion too, you're almost always going to have like kind of one. I don't want to say wonky rivet, but you're going to have one rivet. <laughs> I feel like there's look. always one wonky rivet. Well, there's but... there's going to be one that's going to look a little weird because you can't actually see it getting pressed in because you have like this tool that kind of covers the whole thing. Yeah. So you when really you're crushing, visual. when you're crushing the front rivets, the head's on the outside, so you get that perfectly domed head, and then it crushes it flat on the inside. When you move to your long rivets. The, you have a obviously a long rivet where you have a rounded head from the factory on one side and the other side you're actually creating that round head. Mm-hmm. And that requires getting that perfectly lined up, everything nice and stable. So when you crush it with the domed tool, it crushes it evenly. It doesn't try to bend as you crush it. Mm-hmm. But one other important thing with uh, riveting receivers is that you have two different types of rivets. So you have your standard flathead rivets, and then you have the swell neck rivets. 
And when you look under the head of the rivet, the swell neck has a little bit of a taper to it. I shouldn't even say a big taper. There's like a big 45 on it. So what you need to do for that part of the receiver is actually dimple it. And that's where some people, I would say, jeopardize the integrity of their build is by not dimpling their receivers. Oh, yeah, you because, can tell when it yeah. hasn't been dimpled. Yep, so the trunnion itself will show you which ones need to be dimpled because they'll have a, uh, a chamfer on them. And that chamfer is for the dimpled receiver to actually lock in. So you're essentially pinching the receiver into the trunnion. So even without rivets, you shouldn't be able to pull that trunnion out. Nope. You know, there's been times I've had to beat them out with a hammer because something something's wonky on it or whatever. But they're very difficult to get out, and that's before you even put a rivet through it. I was going to so say, that, I remember when we did that one build, or a couple of the builds, yeah, you were even mm-hmm. showing me, you dimple that, you dimple that trunnion in place, it's not Yeah, moving. it's extremely hard to get it out. And that's what really gives you that stability there. Mm-hmm. So you drill all your holes in your receiver for your trunnion rivets but then you dimple them and that really bites into that trunnion and then you put the rivets through and i mean it's like fucking bomb proof at that point oh yeah i remember you made the comment the one time you're like you could drop this out of a plane and it's not gonna go yeah no you've run them over with tanks you know whatever you know and those rivets are gonna hold you know rivets are extremely strong and especially when you dimple the receiver where it prevents them from shearing yeah, because that, that's the main thing against rivets is shearing. You know, they're extremely strong, you know, trying to pull it out or anything like that. But if you have two sharp edges up against a rivet, it's not extremely hard to shear it. Yeah. So dimpling gives you that extra strength. Yep, so and you have dimpled, uh, dimpled holes on the front of the receiver and the long rivets are typically dimpled. I was going to say, it's typically the, the rear long rivets, and then if I recall correctly, it's the bottom ones on the front trunnion? Yes, but okay. I think even unless you're doing the Yugo, because then you also have a front rivet on the Yugo, or like your standard RPKs, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, which the RPKs, their they're front trunnions, or even the Yugo M72, they have an interesting front trunnion. They actually have like all this extra stuff going on just for that extra mm-hmm. support of being a light machine gun <laughs> yep they yeah look and that's the thing. there's so many right. different little variations we're just kind of talking broadly about it because we don't have nine hours i can talk about ak's oh that's why we're gonna do a part two and a part three and a part four <laughs> yeah right <laughs> but yeah so once you got the the front and the rear trunnions riveted in like i said next i go to the trigger guard that's usually pretty straightforward you're essentially crushing all four of them for the uh, front of the trigger guard at once the main thing, I mean, and I've been guilty of it too, is forgetting the um, the selector stop plate. Mm. Yeah, that has yep. to get sandwiched in between. Sometimes you get a little bit ahead of yourself. You just slap the uh, the trigger guard to the bottom of the receiver, <laughs> start pressing the rivets, and go, "Son of a bitch, I'm missing that plate." Oh yeah. Or you that, put it on the wrong way. I've seen people do that. And that's a plate that can kind of be damaged pretty easily, too, so a lot of people end up replacing those. Yeah, they're pretty flimsy. So during the D-mill, sometimes they get, you know, pried off and they get twisted and they're hard to get straightened back out nicely anyway. So yeah, uh, one of those things to watch out for. And then the back of the trigger guard is just one simple rivet that gets crushed flat on the inside. The problem with that, though, depending on which trigger group you're using, 
sometimes that rivet will actually interfere with your trigger. So, and that's the something else I want to mention too is when you do that riveting. I remember the tool you had; it's like kind of cut at a slight angle. So, like no matter what you do with that trigger guard, there's always going to be like one or two rivets where you're going to see the side, like the right side of them, uh, depending on your perspective, where it's going to look a little. Off. You're going to see the tool marking, and mm, it yep. was it was funny, pretty because like uh, when you, when you said that, I was you know that back then I was at the shop, and I was actually pulling apart a bunch of AKs we had, and I noticed almost every single production AK was like that, had that mark. Yeah. Which is funny. It doesn't and matter the that, company. It all, yeah, it all depends on the tooling that's getting used. Like, I know uh, one of my tools, when I first started using it, it wasn't sitting those heads all the way down for the trigger guard rivets. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Here, when they used a ball mill to mill the little rivet dimples, they probably went too deep. Therefore, those rivets are allowed to sit down further and not get pressed all the way up. So Mm. that's just a simple fix of just milling the top of my jig. But again, if you if you don't know any better and you haven't tried it already, you're you know, you're essentially making bad rivets and it's 100 percent the tooling. Yeah. And the the rivets are kind of the key. Yeah. So, of course, you drill them out and you buy more rivets and start over again. (laughs) <laughs> you well, I've also had all over. Yeah, I've also had rivets where I had to flatten part of the head because the holes are so close to the the sheet metal of that uh, trigger guard where the magazine release is. Mm-hmm. I've had to actually put a small little flat spot on it just so it the head will sit all the way down because it's already up against there and it won't go flush because of the bend in it. And, and, so. you know, and again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with AKs needing fitting. I don't mm-hmm. care the company. Uh, you can have the best name when it comes to receivers. You have the best name when it comes to a parts kit. You're going to have to do some of your own machining or your own your own actual work on it, too, that wasn't that you weren't expecting to do. I, yeah. think, I, I don't think I've seen a single build in all the ones you've had in your shop where you haven't had to do something to it. Like, hell, even the... the I may have had one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think there was one. And I mean, that that's, to to this day, is the cheapest AK that I've been able to put out. Plus, he didn't want it refinished, really. Oh, uh, he know? wanted just dirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, pretty much leave it as is. I think I cold-blued the barrel just because that was in the white. Mm-hmm. And that that's what he wanted. He didn't want it that nice, you know hot salt blued finish he's like i kind of want a dingy dirty looking so it's like all right man and i think it left here like maybe a little over 500 dollars. oh wow you know for a complete bill but everything was already demilled and went together flawlessly <laughs> head spaced in one shot it's like all right this is weird this isn't an an, an, an anomaly because <laughs> you know i tell you every time in every batch of ak's that i build there's always one problem child always one problem where it just fights you every step of the way. It doesn't matter if you have two or five, there's going to be one. Yep. And that's the thing. Most of the time, it ends up being somebody that got a non-matching parts kit. Mm-hmm. And you have to bear in mind that those parts never work together to begin with. So it's extremely hard to get them to work together right off the bat. Yeah, which is funny because you see a lot of companies... Or I shouldn't say companies. You see a lot of countries' parts kits where it's almost more common to find non-matching kits. Like, I've noticed that with the, the Egyptians, mm-hmm. the Mahdi's. 
yeah. several dealers I noticed they almost always have it non matching parts kit, non matching yeah. parts kit, and most of that's the uh, the demil process. Yep, you know we're gonna cut parts. all these up. All the trunnions go in one pile. All the bolt carriers go in another pile. Yep. So uh, they don't make it easy for us. <laughs> no, but we still keep buying them up. No, but it's yeah. But even the price of parts kits, man, I, I really cannot grasp how much AK kits have gone up over the years. It's funny because some kits are kind of going down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, let's use before the pandemic, right? Uh, and obviously the pandemic changed everything. But I remember seeing kits advertised before the pandemic for like 350 400 something like that. Yeah. And the pandemic kit, you couldn't touch a kit for under 550 with the exception mm-hmm. of like some Yugos. Yugos seem to be the only ones, the stamped ones, I should say. Yeah, it's because consist- they're so different. Yeah, you can consistently find the kits for about five or less. Mm-hmm. Romanians, too. I've Actually, if there's one kit I've noticed the price almost come down on, it's the Romanians. Yeah. And it seems like they're consistently about to that five to six hundred mark, if not less. But you get what you pay for. Exactly. So... After we look at the receiver and all that stuff, uh, the barrel pressing, stuff like that, things to consider with that. I mean, how do you mm. do that, Tyler? So, for me, I like to get them where really nothing has been done to it. I think um, Green Mountain was putting out barrels like that, where you don't even have the handguard notch, the gas port's not drilled. It's turned. I think you have the the slots in it for the handguard retainer, but you don't have the notch that it actually locks into. And those are excellent because you can press everything to where it's tight and fit up nicely. Whereas if it already has the handguard retainer notch in it, you're kind of limited to where that handguard is going to the handguard retainer sits and how wide your forend is. I've had to shim them a couple times just because they're so sloppy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is if the gas port's already drilled, you have no control over how overgassed your gun is. You know, mm-hmm. it's immediately like that from your barrel. So you're kind of things to consider it. on that end. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much stuck with it. But for your average build, I mean, they 100% work. You know, mm-hmm. most of the time when I get a barrel in, they are the ones that have the handguard notch. The gas port's already drilled. I press my stuff on. I headspace it. I go out, test fire it. It slings the brass 15 feet away, but it cycles every time. Yeah. You know, that's what you need an AK to do. An AK's just got to run. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. So one of those things to consider when buying the barrels that it's not like an AR-15. You buy an AR-15 barrel, they pretty much all come exactly the same. I don't think I've ever heard somebody ask, "Do you want the gas port drilled or not?" Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever heard that with an AR. Yeah, Plus, th- in that that's... case, you just buy an adjustable gas plug. Yeah, which you're starting to see more of that stuff for the AKs or like the adjustable pistons. Yeah, I've seen that a couple companies have been putting that out lately, and that's cool, I guess, but mm. I don't know. Yeah, so, or like, uh, for me, when I did my crank, when I SBR'd that with shortening the barrel, now it was under gas to the point where it wouldn't function, because it didn't have time to build up the pressure. So I pressed off the gas block, drilled it slightly bigger, pressed it back on, try it. Press it off, drill it slightly bigger, try it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it, I remember it was tedious. That. But that gun is gassed absolutely perfectly. See, there you, know? you go. See, as long as you're willing to put the work into it, you're going to get the quality product you want out of it. 
And yeah. I think w- whether it comes to an AK, an AR, whatever the gun, you get what you put into it. Mm-hmm. You cheap out on parts. You cheap out on how paying your gunsmith to, to do the work. You're not going to yeah. get the desired results you want. I, I don't know how many times I, I've heard. And hell, I'll be honest. I've said it years ago, too. I said, I just want this done as cheap as possible just because I want it done. Mm-hmm. And then you get it done as cheap as possible. And it's not nearly the quality in which to your standards, let alone probably that gunsmith standards or that machinist standards or whoever standards. Yeah. So you get yeah, what you like pay said, for. It, it, it's, it's very tough for me to quote jobs like this. Cause it's like, I don't know what your kit consists of. I don't know how well everything fits together. And plus the sky's the limit when it comes to finishing these things. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, the cheapest one I had go out the door. I essentially did nothing, but maybe rub some cold blue on the barrel just to darken it up. The most expensive one I've had go out of here to date was over, might have been like $850 in labor. If that's the but one that I'm thinking was of you had, that was the one doing with Russian it, kit. It, yeah, the one Russian kit. It fought me every step of the way. That was the problem, child. It had to get demilled, and it was getting all the metal 100% refinished. So, so you know, as, as we're kind of winding down here, you know, something to keep in mind, too, is you do see a lot of companies where they will offer parts. They, they will offer kit builds for, like, maybe five, 600, stuff like that. Whereas you charge, what is it, Tyler, like seven on average? On average, I try to tell people, expect about seven. Okay. Yeah. Like and I said, if I'm doing really the bare minimum, it's going to be around five. If I'm, you know, doing it up to the nines, you're going to be pushing eight, eight fifty, maybe even nine hundred if you're having me refinish the wood. And so, so. Th- that's something I want people to consider too, is because you might see ch- builds. I don't want to say cheap build services, cheaper price mm. build services. But you also have to remember too, some of these guys. That's one hundred percent what they specialize in, or quote unquote specialize in. Like that's all they do. And I'm yeah. not saying that their their builds are bad by any stretch of the amount, because I'm not. Because I've seen you know all these companies that offer stuff at different prices, but. They're also on a much larger scale, whereas if you bring your AK kit to a smaller shop like Tyler's, yeah, you know, it's he's a one-man shop. He's a one-man operation. Well, one and a half if you include me there overseeing. <laughs> yeah, you help <laughs> demo some AKs. Talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you have to remember what actually goes into the attention to detail. I think, and I'm not trying to knock anyone else when I say this, mm-hmm. but like uh, someone like yourself, Tyler, or a smaller shop, I think is going to have a little bit better quality of a build just because you're not worried about 10 other builds on deck that need to get out by next week. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. You, 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 you know, you've often told your customers, hey, I do my stuff in batches, so when I get a few more in, you might be waiting a bit, but you're going to get a quality AK, and I don't think you've had a single person be upset with any of your AK builds. No, no. No, so no, I, I that, think that's, that's one of the things I, I try to tell people, you know, especially the reason I do them in batches is not only so everything's getting done at one time, you know, they're all getting the holes drilled, they're all getting riveted together, you know, it helps... Cause you're, I don't want to say you're in practice, but you know, you start with one, you're okay. I'm back in the groove of it. And you know, all the other ones come out better than they would if you just did them individually, like, you know, weeks apart. So you have that going for you. But then also I try to tell people, I don't want to be known as an AK builder. If that makes sense. You know, it's like, I spent $30,000 going to gunsmith school to learn how to do everything. I'm going to do everything. Yeah. So yeah, I, I tell people I do AKs because it's my passion. I like it. I like doing them. 
and honestly, you're getting gunmaker quality for an AK builder price, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And I don't know. I just love just there's just so much work that goes into an AK, and it's just satisfying mm. to know that you built something that's not as simple as let's say an AR-15 or yeah. I'm going to stop making fun of the AR-15 a Glock because <laughs> building a Glock is extremely easy. I mean anyone yeah. can take a P80 kit or a 3D printer and build their own Glock very very easily. Mm-hmm. So yep. actually I would so, say a Glock is simpler than than an AR. Yeah. Someone might argue with me but I I would say a Glock is cuz you can finish a Glock in a couple hours and not know what you're doing. Yeah. Whereas an and AR, I've had way too many people mess up their ARs. Yeah. <laughs> so but, for the next episode, we'll probably we'll get into more of the the head spacing and barreling details of the AK. But I think for today, that's probably a good spot to stop. Yeah, I think we had, uh, you know, we covered a little bit about riveting, pressing the barrel. Now, we talked a little bit about pricing and stuff like that. Before, you know, before we head off, you know, if you mm-hmm. could get what's what would you be if you can get one kit right now, one AK kit specifically, what AK kit would you be targeting? Oh man, it all depends on the day. I mean, I've been <laughs> I've been eyeing up Russian kits. They're pushing about sixteen hundred bucks. I was on a uh, everygunpart.com the other day uh-huh. and just saw the Norinco. I saw uh, that. Fuck, what is it? The eighty eighty five, eighty six, yep. something like that. The five five six the, one. The five five six, but it you know it's all from Norinco. It's all pre banned It's got the bayonet lugs and all that. It's like, damn, if only I had money. You yeah, know? I saw that actually too. It's funny you mentioned that because I saw. I was like, oh, for that sixteen. Yeah, because you never see Norinco stuff, you know. No, not not you in know. the parts kit market, really. No, because they were all completed guns. They didn't really import a whole lot of them. Yeah, exactly. They didn't need so, to. Nope. So I thought that was cool, but yeah, uh, those I've been eyeing up Hungarian ones. They're a little. They're more the like mid tier. Mm-hmm. You know, you're pushing like, uh, like six six fifty. That's what I've noticed. Somewhere is, in there, I think Atlantic has them for like six fifty mm-hmm. right now. But then again, I don't have a Polish one either. <laughs> so, Polish like Polish underfolders, I think they're about eight nowadays. Yep. Yeah, the Polish so, ones have gone up. Yeah. So figure you're spending eight hundred dollars for the parts kit, maybe eight hundred dollars for the build service, and then you also need the additional parts. They're expensive guns, you know. They're they're not to be thought of as your three four hundred dollar jobs like they used to be. It's not like it is in the early 90s. Yeah, exactly. So, it, you know, I still feel bad quoting customers on builds, you know, oh, that costs more than the parts kit, but that that's the way it is these days. Yeah, and unfortunately, the days of cheap parts kits are over. You know, yep. as much as At least until them. the war in Ukraine is done, you then know, they might I, have something they want to unload. I'm actually kind of optimistic about that, and, you know, <laughs> I, I get people are dying and all this, and, you know, it's not a good situation, whether you're for or against, or whatever your political position is with it, I don't yeah. care. The The one thing I am optimistic for is once this war is over, there will be uh, an influx of parts kits. That's kind yeah. of what There's going to be some for. liquidation happening. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's what I'm genuinely hoping because they're going to need to recoup their loss. And it, it's a whole other topic for another day. But basically, the one thing to look forward to at the end of the Ukraine war outside of the, well, end of the war and end of the bloodshed is hopefully we'll be getting some parts kits in. Yeah. <laughs> and probably some oddball stuff, too. Oh, Judging yeah. by what's been popping up over there. Oh yeah, they, they've had some cool stuff popping up over there too. Like they they found that warehouse of PPSHs, forty three PPS forty threes. They had the yep, um, yep. the the Thompsons. There's a lot of cool stuff that's been popping up over there. But yeah, so we'll have to see. Yep. So 
on that note, guys, uh, you know, where can they find you at, Tyler? Uh, you guys can find me on the socials at Precision Rifle Works LLC and at www.precisionrifleworks.com. All right. And you guys can find me over on uh, Instagram at SightPicture762. And most importantly, you can find the channel over on our Instagram at Across <laughs> the Gun Counter. Uh, as well as you can check out the website, www.acrossthegunkounter.com, where I know I've said this every episode. We will be getting a little more content on there and stuff like that. We need Things more time. Just, yeah, it's it's been extremely hectic, but I think I'm starting to get back into this over, uh, you know, now that I've been working more overtime, kind of a groove on when we can work and when we can't. Yeah. So we'll see going forward now that we're kind of getting more on the, the right, you know, the, the right leg, if you will. And yep. uh, <laughs> so just bear with us. But until then, you know, hey, don't forget to like, subscribe, you know, give us five stars. Please rate us. That's the the other thing I ask, too, is whenever you look up share podcast, the podcast. Yeah, share, share it because right now we're shadow banned on Instagram like almost every other gun page, which it's almost at the point where it's almost kind of like I might need to make a Facebook uh, <laughs> just to get this thing advertised a little more, which is something I said I wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But hey, everyone's a hypocrite. So <laughs> all right, then, guys, until next time, take care. Stay safe. See you guys.